Hey everybody, Tim Tialdo here and welcome to Life After the Crown. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you're wondering, well, this doesn't sound like the rest of them. That's because we're doing something completely different today. We're going to do what's called a role reversal. I'm going to be interviewed by one of my very good friends and one of the top listened to podcast guests that I've had in the past, Miss Ebony K. Williams. We're going to talk about a little bit about my story. We're going to talk about the state of pageantry and have some of the deep and honest conversations that many of you have behind the scenes that you haven't been willing to have publicly. And I think you're really going to love this one. So let's get to it. Okay, y'all, Ebony K. Williams here with the takeover of Tim Tialdo's fantastic podcast, Life After the Crown. Tim, I'm so excited to talk to you today uh, because we get to flip the script a little bit. You are always doing fantastic interviews, uh, but today you are going to be my interviewee, and I'm excited to talk to you, Tim. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I have a a tremendous respect for you. And, And for everybody listening, the reason Ebony is here, not only because she's my friend and I respect her, she, by far and away, is the number one podcast that I have had by double of any other guest. And I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. Ebony, it probably even surprises you. But you have a massive fan base, apparently. And you have a tremendous amount of thousands, thousands of <laughs> listens to your podcast. So congratulations on that. No, thank you. Congratulations to you, my dear. It's your show. No, I am shocked and beyond. Uh, that's beyond belief for me, Tim, because... <laughs> I got to tell you, I am such a humongous fan, frankly, of practically every single woman that you've had on this show uh, thus far. And I've listened to pretty much probably 85, 90% of of the the shows. And I learn something new every time. I'm friends with a lot of these women in real life. And yet I'm still learning uh, from the interviews you conduct on the podcast. So I think that's a testament to you and and just the content um, that you really can't get anywhere else. Uh, in media, the, the, what the content, the originality, the conversations that you find here on Life After the Crown. So congratulations yeah, well, to you, yeah, my well, friend. Thank you. Thank, yeah. And you know what? I do it yeah. to, to educate people, but I feel like I've got a PhD in pageantry as well. Yeah. So I totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Thank you so much for that. Well, I think that's a great place for us to start, Tim, because, you know, I kind of remember uh, it, for those you know that, that don't know, Tim and I met uh, formally on the pageant circuit, but we were familiar with each other through media and journalism spaces um, prior to me meeting when I was judging, I believe it was Miss South Carolina USA several, several years ago. Right. Yep. But and, and, and this great show that we're now doing and people are listening to was but a, a tiny little idea at the time. So Tim, tell me exactly how it went from an, a figment in your head to now a second season, uh, consistently downloaded, really destination for pageant uh, women, pageant parents, and all things related to pageantry. Well, I got to give you a little bit of credit here because you were part of the genesis of it. I'll take you back to kind of where it came from. Uh, Our mutual friend, Megan Gordon, who was, I I think, maybe that was the year you judged. I can't remember, but um, she ended up finishing top five in Miss USA. And I had Started to work yeah. with all the girls in the RPM organization, so that's the Carolinas, Louisiana, Alabama. And what I, what I kept seeing is the challenges weren't necessarily while they were competing. Where I really saw the challenges start to happen is when it was over. Um, and I, they would really have difficulty. Some of them, you know, they had a career path. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. But I would say a majority of them, and I think this really stems for the whole pageant world now that I've gotten to know a ton of these women, is that they really struggle with the transition from – you know, this was kind of my goal at this point in my life. And I hit that mountain peak and either I achieved it or I didn't. But now it's over. And now I'm not exactly sure how to move forward because that drive and that determination to get there 
is now gone. And now I have to come up mm-hmm. with something else. And so I was like, you know what? There needs to be some sort of resource to help make that transition, whether you have any idea what you want to do or not. And I think, you know, the best way that I felt like to do that was not for me to sit here and preach from a platform and say, well, here's what you should do. It's let other women tell the stories of how they've done it. And a lot of them, as you have heard on the podcast, have struggled with it themselves, but they've figured it out. And I think that's the hope that I hope to put into the girls' minds is that you're going to figure it out, whether you believe it or not. You might go through three or four months of a little bit of depression and like, what now? But you're going to get through Mm -hmm. it. And there are many, many women who have gone before you who have done it. And uh, I, I just hope it's helping. And it sounds like it is, but I just, you know, I'm all, every day I, I'm, I'm never, you know, in the full confidence and belief that I'm doing the perfect thing. It's like I just want to know, and, and it's nice to hear from people when they say it, is that this is helping. No, you're moving the needle, Tim. And actually, I know it for sure because I talked to, to many of these uh, young ladies. It's, it's amazing. We have mutual friends. You haven't heard it yet. It's, as to us recording this show right now, you don't know it, but you're specifically invoked in an interview I just did at the Miss Universe office with uh, our dear friend, uh, Chesley Chris, yes. uh, the current Miss USA. Um, and, and Amon um, from Sway, a media, of course, was in it. Yeah, and it's like you, you know, this nucleus, really, um, of women in this world of pageantry, and it's, it's really quite phenomenal. So it's, it's like a really organic way you did that, and it's really cool. But I wanted to speak to what you brought um, up, Tim, which is that <sighs> taboo space that nobody before this podcast I ever heard talk about, but that, that down period that a lot of pageant contestants and, and, and title holders deal with, either after you've won the title and your reign is over, or as I experienced, you, you, you fall just short of actually getting that crown on your head and there's nowhere else to go in pageantry. Now what? Right. And you, it really, for me, Tim forced me to create a new dream because for so long, and I know so many people listening to this right now probably experience the same thing. The goal, the thing that wakes you up at six in the morning to go to that gym, the thing that makes you read every single newspaper and peruse every single article on the web is getting ready for these intense phases of competition. And when that part's over, because your reign came to an end, because you got first runner up or top five, or you were in the back clapping for your friends up there that were getting crowned, now what is a big thing. So Tim, tell me, you know, I'll share mine in a bit. And I know I talked about it in my previous podcast, if you haven't. Go ahead and download that so you can add to the numbers. Um, but, <laughs> Tim, I want you to share, like, what you, the conversation, and you don't have to necessarily name the young ladies, but some of those conversations you've had to help women figure out what's next. Well, look, your, yours is a perfect example, and I, I love it, and you can certainly tell it. But, you know, you were the runner-up to Kristen Dalton, who went on to win Miss USA. It's, it's really hard to be in that position, and, you know, we were able to actually use that very same uh, circumstance this year because Chesley won. Yes. And the next morning, I called Laura Little and said, guess what? You Mm -hmm. can be Miss North Carolina USA if you want. And she said, I I don't know. I I haven't even thought about it. And you were the perfect person to call because you had been in the exact same position 10 years ago. And it's like, I I don't know what to do. Now, that's just one example. And that's a rare example. I think the biggest ones are the... The very common state title holders, okay, so 51 go to the, sta- to the national show, one walks away with the title, everybody else goes home, and some were very close and they didn't get there. And I think for those, it's the hardest. You know, the girls that make the top five, um, Megan Gordon's a good example. We talked about it on our podcast. I know she wouldn't mind me saying it. 
is that she really struggled because she really believed that God had put in her heart that this was her dream and she thought that this was going to be it. And then it was, mm-hmm. God, it's not. So now what? You know, she was in nursing and she was, but she was like, I don't know if nursing is exactly what I want to do. And I'm just, I'm really struggling with finding meaning right now. And I, I know a lot right. of them go through that because I've talked to um, numerous podcasts with tons of them. And I think the thing that you have to take in, into account here is sometimes loss is the best thing that you can possibly go through because it's going to force you to grow in so many ways. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of them struggle is, you know, I I think for a lot of them, they haven't lost. I mean, there are a lot of girls that they go, they compete, they win, they win the state title, they go, and they've never lost until they get to the national title and they don't win. And they, that's a new experience for them. And that's that adversity that I think is incredibly important. Um, I'm actually going to re-air a podcast from last year um, in a couple of weeks because it's a very valuable one. It's been very popular, and that's Nicole Wilkins. Um, she was mm-hmm. a four-time Miss Olympia. So she was a world champion. She had won four times. Wow. And she said, some of the best moments in my career when, when I get straight up got beat. I got beat by somebody who came better prepared, better, you know, uh, just overall than me. And they came in mm-hmm. and did better than I did. And I think that's the most important lesson that I can pull out of it is, yes, you might have dreams. You might have goals. You might have worked harder than anybody else to get there. But sometimes the reality of this world is that it just doesn't happen. And the key, yeah. and Olivia Jordan talked about it, is it's also important to have other goals while you're competing for Miss USA or Miss America or whatever pageant you're in. It's incredibly important that you have a, a plan B. And, you know, some people, yeah. are they like to say, well, I don't, I don't like the idea of having a plan B. I want to put it all out there. I want to take the risk. I want to put my faith out there. And that's awesome. But the chances of it not happening are pretty good. So I think, <laughs> right. I, I think a calculated right. risk would be, okay, yeah. at least set a plan B to the side. You don't necessarily have to say, I'm probably not going to win, so I'm going to do this. But you got to go into it thinking, okay, there has to be an option if I don't because the, uh, the percentage chance of me winning is very slim. You know, and it's, it's, it's so true, Tim. And I got to tell you, I'm one of those uh, folks you just mentioned that says, oh, well, plan B people are for people that don't really believe in their plan A, right? Of course. <laughs> and that's I'm, like, I'm that I, way that, sometimes too, trust me. Yeah, that, that pure confession, that is totally me, right? So when I finished first runner-up to Kristen Dalton, I was absolutely devastated. And, you know, not I didn't take it personally. I just couldn't believe it because that had driven me. to. And I, as I said on you know the previous interview we did on your show, I worked harder to become Miss North Carolina USA than I worked to pass the bar exam in the state of North Carolina <laughs> that I'd worked, I swear to you, that I'd worked, um, you know, for anything in my life. And so when it didn't happen for me, I couldn't believe it. But to your point of growth and adversity, making you the best you can be, even if you don't want it to end up that way, what it made me do, Tim, was look at what the skills that I had acquired in process of competing at that level, what skills had I obtained in the process of competing for Miss North Carolina USA that I didn't know I had before? And for me, as you know, um, it ended up being my ability to speak on stage around difficult issues, including politics. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but my very first time speaking on politics in front of a public audience was my, you know, top five question in Miss North Carolina USA that year. And I loved it. I fell in love with it. It was an adrenaline rush unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. So while I didn't ultimately end up winning, what I did, what it forced me, and I got to tell you, it took me at least six months to be able to have this um, 
awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to learn the lesson. Um, but that's what I would tell everybody listening is once you get over the heartbreak and that's real. And I think it's okay to, to really acknowledge that that's a real emotional journey. But once you get past that heartbreak, ladies, you now can look and see what are the skill sets and what are the gifts. And back to Megan Gordon, because I had a conversation with her, Tim, and I don't think she'll mind me sharing this either. She came to New York. I think she was practicing with Lou, um, the fantastic, legendary uh, walking and runway coach for Miss Universe. And you've also interviewed on this show. One of my top three favorite interviews, by the way. She's Um, fun. She's amazing. So Megan was training with Lou. And so we had uh, dinner in Harlem where I was living. And I said to her, and you know, I don't think Megan appreciated it at the time, to be honest, and I love her to death, but I said, well, girl, you know, it's a high chance you might not win this thing. I want you to win. And she looked at me like, girl, what the heck are you talking about? I'm going to win. <laughs> She's like, wait a minute. And I I'm came like, here for encouragement. Yes. Right, right. But I told her, I said, I got to be real with you. You might win. You should, you, you could win. You, you deserve to win, but you very well could not. Right. And in that case, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get business cards printed that just say Megan Gordon, Miss South Carolina, USA, 20, whatever, and your cell phone and your email and your website and, and hand those babies out from the second you touch ground at the Miss USA competition till the second of the crowning, because you're there to win the crown, but you're also there to build relationships with the other contestants, but also Tim, you, you were hosting Miss Teen USA national pageant this year. You were at Miss USA this year on the ground at that pageant are a phenomenal array of entertainment, journalism, media, business professionals. Oh, it's you know? a networking and dream. It's a networking dream. I was like, girl, people would give their left elbow to be in that room, <laughs> right? To be in that space, seriously. And so for you to not take advantage of all those opportunities to connect and tell every single person you meet, I'm Megan Gordon, and this is what I do, and this is what I can offer, you know, that's a missed opportunity. So don't just think about competing in that pageant on that finals night or preliminaries. Think about that. And, and I think for her, that was helpful because she told me later, Tim, that, you know, we've seen her now, of course, go on to have a, a fantastic modeling career and, you know, Megan's just crushing it. But that was something that she hadn't thought about, which is when you go to a state pageant, even when you go to a national pageant, for sure, yeah, you're there to get a crown on your head, but don't neglect the relationship building opportunity that's right in front of you. Well, hey, you're a perfect example. Okay, so when we went to the state pageants, uh, you and I met through the fact that you were a judge on that panel. Even for me as the host of a state pageant or a national pageant, when I go, I'm constantly looking at the roster saying, who would I love to meet? You know, what are the connections that we could possibly come up with together? How could I benefit them? How could they benefit me? I'm always looking at all those things. And I even, you know, I'll even call the state director and say, hey, I've got some ideas for judges that I think would be great people because I think they would be great for everybody to meet. And I think that's the yes. important thing for a state title holder. Okay, so let's take Miss USA, Miss America, all the national pageants out of it. Let's just talk about state yep. title holders. The one thing that I think a lot of them miss is that they become state title holders and immediately their first thought is, I'm going to Miss USA, America, whatever. That's great. Mm-hmm. And that's an awesome goal to have. But you are forgetting that you are a state title holder, you represent an entire state and the amount of people in that state that you have influence with or are able to meet simply for the fact that you wear a banner or a crown, do not discount that. I mean, you could literally set up your entire career while you're a state title holder 
if you play your Listen. cards right. But you got, you know, like you said, business mm-hmm. cards, networking, phone calls. Call your state director and say, I want to meet these people and make a list, 15 people. I'd love to meet the governor. I'd love to meet uh, Alabama, Coach Nick Saban. They always want to meet Nick Saban. Whatever. These are powerful yeah, people who great. can make things happen for you. And if you just keep them in your Rolodex and stay in touch with them, you have no idea what can happen. Miss USA, ask Chesley right now. It's a great, awesome deal, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You still have life after yeah. that, and that's that's, all, that's what life after the crown is all about, is there is this humongous gap after you're yeah. 25, 28 years old that you still got 50, 60, 80 years left in your life. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Totally. What are you going to do? What are you gonna do? Well, I think you just gave the gold nugget out right there, Tim. Seriously, that ability to when you have that fashion crown on your head make those connections. Um, I'll give you a good example. Miss DC USA uh, 2019, Virginia Cranshaw, good friend of mine, Minty. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been really savvy around that. Now, I don't know, maybe it's DC culture. They're a little bit more savvy <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. But that young lady, Tim, because, you know, her platform was foster care advocacy. She is a former foster kid. Cordelia has a nonprofit in that space. And let me tell you how that girl has worked it all year long, Right around connecting in the nonprofit sector, in the government sector, in the municipality sector, so that when she gives up that title holder, Tim, she's ready to rock and roll. Her nonprofit is going to be one of the most connected in the space because of those relationships that she forged as Miss DC. Not Miss USA, right? But as Miss DC USA. Phenomenal. That's how it can look. And she's setting a great example. Yeah, it's good. Um, So I want to pivot real quick, Tim, and talk a bit about something that you and I have offline conversations about all the time, (laughs) and I adore it. Um, And that is, you know, you and I have been lifelong pageant uh, fans, and we've, you know, kind of seen the evolution of pageantry through uh, the 90s or 2000s, and here we are, of course, um, practically approaching the 2020s, which is amazing. Gosh, I'm getting old. Um, It's scary. (laughs) It's scary. Um, But but a lot has changed in pageantry, uh, to put it mildly, a lot. And, you know, I'll say my piece in a second, but I want to start with you in terms of what do you identify, Tim, as the biggest um, changes? And all those changes haven't necessarily been for the better. You know, I'll just put that out there. Um, So when you see some of the evolution in pageantry from the last, you know, we'll just say 15 to 20 years or so, um, just tell me two or three of the things that you, you saw and appreciated about pageantry in kind of yesteryear that you don't see reflected in pageantry today. Got it. Okay. Well, let, let me let me say I have experience in both America and USA. I think most people think I'm only in the USA system. In the early 2000s, I hosted Miss West Virginia America and Miss Missouri America back in 05. So I have experience okay, in both realms. And so I kind of have seen it from both sides. And I, I know how both have functioned. And I've, of course, you know, I think the USA system in particular back in the 2000s hit its height. You know, um, mm-hmm. love him or hate him, Trump did a fantastic job of marketing it and turning it into something that was sexy and, you know, really drew in a crowd. And I think it really hit its point there around four, 2004, 2005, where they had yeah, double, double, years. Yeah, yeah. double digit million yeah. viewers on NBC. Wow. Um, I, I yeah. think the, so. the biggest thing that I will say I have seen, and it really is in the recent past since I have gotten back into pageants, is uh, the changes in leadership. Everything in the organizations really stems from the leadership and the two big ones, America and the universe system. And, you know, let's take the, the transaction of the, the Miss Universe purchase. Trump decides to sell it because of some controversy. And, you know, it's not, you know, normally when you buy an organization or a business as an investor, 
you have a plan for it. You're thinking, okay, you had kind of laid out the plan. You'd put your people in place. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to make an offer. This was a totally different situation. Trump just puts it on the market and says, I'm selling it. And William Morris steps up and says, hey, we're the biggest entertainment company in the world. We'll buy it with not really a plan of what was going to be, nor uh, I think a really good knowledge of what the pageant industry is. And so immediately they came in and, you know, they probably took some people on the interior and said, hey, you guys are going to be in charge of Miss Universe and go for it. And they've just kind of applied their own knowledge to it. And I think immediately they just thought, oh, the best thing we can do is jump into the societal and cultural uh, movements that are happening and really throw those into the center of it. And I think that really threw things off for, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about this at length. I think that's been one of the yeah. biggest stains on that particular organization, one that I work for and obviously host pageants in. In the America side, um, <laughs> you know, a former coworker of yours takes over in leadership, Gretchen Carlson. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think from the very beginning, she has demonstrated that while she is a great personality and has a name and obviously spent years at Fox News and was a former Miss America, has demonstrated very poor leadership skills. I think from the very beginning, she did not have buy-in from the states. She just said, her and Regina said, we're going to do it our way. This is what we're going to do, whether you like it or not. And there was a mutiny for a little while there. There was even a petition by a bunch of the states to oust her. And it's like, this is not how you run an organization, nor is it how you get them to convert to your way of thinking. And so I think in many ways, it's the ownership on one side in the Miss Universe organization and the leadership on the other side in the Miss Miss America organization. And they have totally kind of thrown the social cultural movements to the forefront of pageants and gotten rid of the traditions and the reasons that women love to compete in them at at the center of it. And I think a lot of them are afraid to speak up. They're afraid to voice their opinions for fear of retribution, that if I say that, I'm going to get kicked out or they're not going to pick me or I'm not going to have a chance. Woo, that is That's what we a call lot, huh? on the streets, Tim, a go. word. Um, <laughs> and it is, and it is. And, and I appreciate your candor because it's important that we are able to have honest dialogue um, around it because for those of us that love pageants, you know, they're not going to be around in the way that we, we love them and want them and, and, and you know, cherish them. If we are not able, ready and able, right, like any other business, to make adjustments, right? And you can't make those adjustments without honest candor and feedback. So I think that's really important what you just offered. I'll say when it comes to, I'll start with Miss America. And, and, you know, I'm like you, Tip. Everybody thinks I only have Miss USA credentials. But actually, I competed in Miss Louisiana for Miss America my second year of law school uh, when I was in Louisiana. So I was top 10 at Miss Louisiana I think 2006. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay, anyway. Um, And so I I do have, um, yeah, it's a very different system, a very beautiful system, though. I'll tell you one of the things I appreciate about the Miss America organization, at least at that time, um, was the fact that, you know, you spend that whole week competing, even for the state title, and then it really allows for that, that sisterhood and bonding and just to be bought into the title that you're going to represent, and it's an incredible thing. Um, as you said, uh, Gretchen Carlson assumed leadership uh, a couple years back, and we've now we've got a Miss America 2.0. We have no swimsuit competition. And what I think is one of the, the biggest tragedies, A, I'm going to speak out and say I hate the elimination of the swimsuit competition. The reason why, <laughs> I, I just do. I flat out hate it. I was really disappointed 
um, to see, and I don't want to put this all on Gretchen, although I am highly critical of her leadership for a variety of reasons, which I'll point to in a second, but I, I was really disappointed in that being kind of the hallmark. So, you know, Tim, I have a, a, a media background. Publicity is everything in our business, okay? And what I saw Gretchen and the Miss America organization do in that point was, was use the swimsuit competition as a scapegoat to throw it under the bus and say, we're going to roll out a big PR machine opportunity here to rebrand this organization with me as, as, as not the title holder as the face of it, but with me as the face of Miss America 2.0 mm-hmm. and just coincidentally throw away a whole competition phase in the process. And it, it was a competition phase, Tim, that I agree with you. I think it, it maybe made uh, PR sense in their mind. It was like maybe a, uh, what do you call it? Politically correct thing to do. Like, Oh, we, you know, we're not going to be objectified anymore. That was the tagline that they said, we're no longer assessing women on what they look like. Uh, and it's utterly ridiculous because yes, Miss America is a scholarship pageant. They've never held themselves out as a beauty pageant, but Gretchen in her own book. And I know this because I read both of them. She talked about how the preparation for all phases of competition, including swimsuit, was highly important in her ability to discipline herself as a student at Stanford University, which she's a graduate from, and eventually as a national broadcaster. So I thought it was the height of hypocrisy, frankly, for you to talk about how this particular phase of competition, lifestyle, fitness, and swimsuit, benefited you directly in your academic and professional advancement, and then take that same opportunity for that development away from the girls in your system. I thought that was the height of hypocrisy. Well, and I think you hit a perfect point there is that she said that in her books. And I don't, when did she write those books? A couple of years back? Decades? Yeah, um, yeah, several years. Well, one I think was like seven years old, the other one's like two or three years old. Okay, so So I think think the one big thing that's changed in her life, um, you know, was her big sexual harassment lawsuit at Fox News with Bill O'Reilly and that whole deal. And that obviously put a stain on her mind, you know, but it also made her angry. And when I watched those interviews the day they came out with 2.0, I saw the anger in her face. And she approached it from a point of almost, you know, we don't want men to look at us in a certain way. And it's like, that's not what this is about. And I feel like she took a very personal approach. Yeah, yeah. I I just, like I said, I don't want to make it about the Gretchen Carlson show. But but I, I just, the whole organization to me is accountable because they, you know, signed off on that. And as a girl who, and, and I talk about this in, in the interview with Chesley, and you'll chuckle at this. I was like, you know, you, you guys would have been rolling me into this office on a wheelbarrow, <laughs> but for, seriously, the lifestyle. No, because I just, I, I, but for swimsuit competition in my pageantry days. Because for me, they actually taught me the preparation, going to Mike Mooney um, for several months and preparing properly for the lifestyle and fitness competition, Tim. It taught me how to eat. I didn't know how to eat. You know, I had a single mom. She worked her butt off to put me through school and make sure that I had everything I needed. So we were McDonald's and hamburger helper and whatever else we could just get on the fly. So it was it up and until as a serious competitor in pageants, Tim, that's when I learned what a saturated fat was versus a healthy fat versus a, a clean carbohydrate versus a not clean one versus lean protein versus fatty meats. I mean, life lessons that on this day in 2019 – I still use those nutritional lessons for my eating plans so that I can be, first of all, I have the stamina and energy to be successful in my career in media and politics. Um, 
it just changed my life. And so I'm very grateful for it. So maybe that's why it feels so personal to me to take that opportunity away from these young contestants today. I really have a serious problem with it. Well, and let, let's take what that section of competition is all about. Of course, on the surface, it's like, yes, I'm standing up there in a bikini in front of an audience. But let's let's go to the real guts of it. You've done it. It's hard freaking work to get in hard. great shape. And to, you know, try and have a six pack. And, you know, there's this whole body movement of uh, I should be able to look how I want. Let me let me clarify that. OK, I had uh, Deanna Johnson on last year, who I think a couple of years yes. ago, 2017, she was kind of shamed for her Georgia. size. But she yes, was a great Georgia. example of somebody who has a bigger skeletal genetic frame and yep. is more curvaceous. Yet she still worked her ass off. She got in the best fit. shape and she was yes. fit. That is one thing. The, the, the other movement of I should just kind of be able to do whatever I want, eat whatever I want, I'm not on board with that at all. you got to work hard. And this, you know, anytime you go into any competition, it is about very hard work. And you should have to do that hard work because it's going to teach you, as you just mentioned, how to, you know, take care of yourself for the rest of your life, eat better, be healthier, be healthy yep. for your family and your kids eventually. I mean, all those things yes. parlay from that one thing that you did as part of a competition. That's exactly right. And I, I can't overstate it enough, Tim. Seriously, it's that, it's that crucial. Um, so that's, that's, you know, kind of my critique on Miss America 2.0. I really feel like they, 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 they took a publicity opportunity and magnified it so much that they uh, undermined uh, some of the phases of competition. But also just, you know, it, it, it just to me, any time the pageant becomes about the face of the leadership, versus the faces of the young ladies who at the local level on up are busting their butts mm -hmm. to represent one another and, and the legacy of, of greater sisterhood and greater womanhood, that's a sad day because um, it's the opposite of what pageantry is supposed to be about. Now, on the Miss USA side, um, I agree with you. Something happened um, where I think that there's – I'll make this nuanced point, and I think that in this kind of post-Me Too era, right, mm -hmm. where I think our whole society – is frightened, for lack of a better word, right? Just absolutely frightened on how to deal with women, how to deal with women intersecting with men in our society, and how we deal with acknowledging very real truths about women's appearance. You know, I know that to be true because I wrote a book about it, pretty powerful, appearance, substance, and success. Right. Because we, 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 we are so ill-equipped as a society, Tim, to talk about the mere fact that what women look like in this society does matter. Now, we can debate whether it should or shouldn't. Okay, fine enough. I, 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 don't, I wish that it didn't some days, but we know that it does. So let's deal with what is. And to your point of, you know, Miss USA and Miss Universe Systems, you know, kind of doubling down on the societal issues, um, the cultural issues, the political issues, almost at the expense of the kind of traditional tenets of a beauty pageant, uh, I just think they missed the balance. Now, my opinion is I do think that some adjustments did need to be made because I do think it's hard to sell a narrative that says the only thing we're going to assess in this moment is just what you physically look like. Sure. Now, I don't think Miss USA was ever about that or Miss Universe was ever about that, but certainly that has been the narrative. So I think that the, the Miss Universe organization, and I, 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 like you said, I have great relationships with them. I judge for them. Um, think, think the world of them. Love them. But there is a missed opportunity when it comes to narrative. They have, I think, conceded the narrative to the public, and I think they need to take back control of them from the leadership on down, like you said, and they need to set the narrative. 
This is who we are. We're unapologetic about it. These are the things we are assessing these young ladies on. It is totally inclusive of their appearance because it's something that matters. And we're also going to make sure that the, that the substance is there, that the service element's there, and all those other components are there. They don't have to be at the expense of one another, but I think that they've kind of overcorrected, all right, out of fear perhaps or something else, and it's costing us true diehard pageant fans um, an ability to relate. Like we kind of can't recognize our own pageant anymore because it's so far from the traditional elements of a beauty pageant. And let us not forget, you know, Miss USA came about because Miss America that particular year, I think didn't want, um, what was it? The uh, bikini from with Catalina swimsuit Mm -hmm. line. And, and thus Miss USA was born. I I think we got to celebrate that legacy. Don't be ashamed of that. Celebrate that and put it into a modern context so that these young women competing in the Miss Universe system today don't have to walk around on eggshells of shame around what this organization represents because the organization has done its work in making sure that the narrative of exactly who and what it represents is crystal clear. That's the yeah. work they need to be doing. And, you know, look, I, I talked to the, the executives there. I, I don't ever sit down with Paula Shugart and say, so tell me what happened here and why you do this. I, I, I've never had that conversation before. What I do get the feeling of, and I, you know, this is simply a theory, based on my interaction with them, is that the Miss Universe organization is kind of has their hands tied by the ownership and the ownership mm. determines the narrative and where they're going. And I think you're right. I think uh, and it, nothing to take away from New York, but they're all the organizations are based in New York City and there's tremendous yes. political pressure that is in that city. And I think they feel the weight of that. And so they uh, they implement it into the organization. Now, a lot of times you won't see the contestants or even the families speak up. But they have spoken through two things. Number one, enrollment is way yeah. down at the state level. And yeah. number two, the yeah. ratings have tanked. Um, yeah. And I pay a very close attention to them because I participate in the pageants. Obviously, I did Teen USA this year. I want to see it come back. To, this year actually was the first year that the ratings went back up a little bit. But they're still a far cry from where they were uh, in 2014 and, and back from there. Yeah, the heyday. Yeah, and I think – Basically, what you're seeing is everybody's speaking silently. Okay, you know what? You can do what you want. I'm just not going to participate. And that's Mm -hmm. the biggest problem is I I talked to – I had Danny Walker on a couple of weeks ago uh, on a podcast, and she had a really good point is that both organizations just need to listen to their ideal contestant and say, what is it that you're looking for? And quit trying to please everybody because by trying to please everybody, you please nobody. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of the state that they're in a little bit is they are. They're trying to please everybody. I mean, I think the worst of it was, I think, two years ago in Vegas when I think they had a roundtable discussion on immigration during the pageant. It's like this is as far <laughs> of a cry from what yeah. we want to see right now as anybody. And I think, you know, that's when you literally felt in the theater t- TVs tuning out at that very moment. Right. Right. You know what? And that's a really good point, too, that nobody wants to say pageants aren't for everybody. And you know what? That's okay. It's great. It's more than okay. Exactly. So for those of us that are, you know, completely bought into what pageantry is supposed to be and the empowerment that I know I have personally experienced, Tim, I know you see it, you see the growth in these young ladies from teen on up, you know, respect that. You're right. Respect, you know, that, that, that we are here consistently for these organizations and for what they represent and for what they produce uh, and just honor the legacy of that. I think that's really, really, really important. And, you know, I, as much as anybody in this world, a champion of diversity, um, of, of the broad spectrum and celebration of girls and women of all 
colors and races and, and religious backgrounds and um, body shapes. And it's fantastic. But what you don't want to get into is tokenism. And I, I have to say, I feel that some of these organizations are overcorrecting in that way. And because mm-hmm. of kind of some, you know, ugly histories that have not acknowledged, you know, necessarily women of color or women of other body types of, or, or, or whatever. Williams marginalized. Is a perfect example. Oh, it's a perfect example. 83 Miss America, right? So the fact that it took so long to get a Miss America that, that, that was of color and then even then her aesthetic, some people critiquing, oh, you know, it was ridiculous. But the point is, what you don't want to see now, what I, as a proud black feminist woman, don't want to see now is the crowning of women of color just so you can pat yourself on the back and say, look, we crowned another woman of color. Yeah. That does nobody any favors. It doesn't do women of color any favors. It doesn't do um, our you know, white sisters any favors. Let the best of the best compete every single year. And that most total package woman on that stage gets that crown. And that is a, a system that has integrity that everybody can buy into. Well, and look, here, here's my approach. And, and this is a really hard approach to take anymore because the media narratives are so and political narratives are so freaking strong today that it's like people really have a hard time thinking about this. When someone walks across the stage, I always say to myself when I'm sitting at a judge table, who is the best human being to walk out mm-hmm. of here tonight? I don't care what color, what race, what gender, whatever. Who is the best mm-hmm. person that's going to walk out of here and deserve that title. And that's all I care yep. about. And, th- and most people don't look at it through that lens today. They really have a hard time because it does. It either becomes about race or it becomes about are they gay or, or transgender or, yeah, or hair yeah, color. We need, a, we need a blonde Or do they year. have a I mean, big body ugly. or a small body? It's like, come on. Right. Who has the, yeah. you know, when we talk about it factor, it factor has no barriers to it. It's like Correct. who just killed it tonight. That's it. That's right. right. Who crushed it? Exactly. And that goes back to, like you're saying, to leadership and trusting your judges. You know, if you trust that every year you put five in a box, so to say, and they're going to assess on that is factor and they're going to operate with integrity, you don't have to worry about crowning a blonde every three years or crowning a black girl every three years or finding that redhead to put up there in the top five. That's a bunch of BS. And it doesn't serve the integrity of the organization. And you know what? The girls feel it. The girls feel it because I know because I talk to them, you know, and it's like, you don't want a situation where you're putting, you know, you're uploading the top five or the top 10 finalists with so many, so much, quote, diversity. If the diverse contestants up there are questioning, am I here because I deserve it and I earned it? Or am I here because they want to look good? And I've had those conversations with Girls 10. I think, you know, some of the conversations that I've had that, you know, people do not hear is mm-hmm. when you become a state title holder and you get ready for Miss USA, they always do, I, I forget what they call them, but the, the, the videos, the hometown videos, you know, where oh, you yeah. basically profile your state. And then they'll yeah. just do some other promotional videos kind of leading up to Miss USA. A lot of the girls, and this is all across the country that I've talked to, are very uncomfortable with some of the things that they are asked to promote because they are a platform that the Miss Universe organization, in this case, represents or promotes that they aren't comfortable in their own values with. And they really struggle with it, but they do it anyway because they feel like if they don't, their dream is done. And so they do it. Mm-hmm. And they, they violate yeah. their own value system. And oh, that's I heartbreaking. Think, I think that's where they, they have to take a stand inside their own organization to say, just because we believe something doesn't mean everybody right. else across the country believes it. And we can't ask them to promote what we believe 
if they don't. If, they, know, if it's conflicting with their own values. Yeah. Well, again, and diversity is, is more than race. Diversity is ideology. Diversity is, to me, that was what, it, you know, people always ask me, you know, it's kind of a, a pure centrist, you know, um, you know, why I spent so many years at Fox News. Well, you know, Tim, my introduction, um, some of my closest conservative friends started in pageantry. Mm-hmm. Started in pageantry, you know, where I was um, given the great opportunity to have friendships with girls that were as far left as, as you can go and as far right <laughs> as you could go. But that week, we were sisters. You see what I'm saying? And so it, it forced me, and I'm so grateful for it when I think back to it, because that's exactly where I get that ability to have conversations and meaningful, sometimes hard, but always important dialogue with people that don't think like I do. They weren't necessarily raised like I was, but we all love our country and we all might have a slightly different way, sometimes vastly different way about going about what's in its best interest. But underneath it all, we connect on our sisterhood and our humanity. And if more people across the country can have a week in Miss USA or Miss America or whatever it is and and, and really kind of be forced to integrate yourselves ideologically with people that are different than you, we might see something different go on in this country, Tim. I truly believe that. Well, and I think what you say is exactly true is because when all the girls go out to Miss USA, Miss America, Miss United States, whatever, they all get along and it's this big group. But what happens mm-hmm. is then the pageant starts to happen and the walls get put up by the organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to talk about these political issues. We're going to talk about these things. And suddenly you start to literally feel the separation between what were great relationships. You know, we don't always have yeah. to sit down and I don't, I don't ever sit down with my friends and be like, all right, let's talk about politics. Here's my thoughts on Trump. Here's my thoughts on this and that. I mean, you don't. You, would you do that at a barbecue? No, you wouldn't. Exactly. And I think yeah. it's the same yeah. thing when you watch a pageant. You're not sitting down to go, okay, what are my thoughts on immigration? I want to know what these 51 girls think. Nobody's sitting yeah. down to think that. They're thinking, who's going to be Miss USA, Miss America, whatever. That's exactly right. I, I so, could exhaust but, you know, myself with this stuff, but yes. Yeah, no, it's great. Okay, well, for, for closing, closing up here, Tim, I want you to give me, though, despite all of it, despite the, uh, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the evolutions, tell me what you still love the most about pageantry. I think at the core of it is that it, it represents hopes and dreams, and it mm. makes people better. You know, when these girls get into it, it is always so much fun. And I've had a chance because I'm, you know, I'm going into my fifth year hosting the state pageants right now. I have watched some girls who got in at 15, you know, now mm-hmm. are you now competing in the miss side um, at 21, 22. The growth and maturity mm-hmm. and just level of confidence that they have developed is awesome to watch. You know, they've learned how to take care of themselves. They've learned how to speak in front of an audience. They've learned how to sell themselves um, as a professional. They've learned how to, you know, just get up there and not be afraid. And I think that's the mm. biggest thing for a lot of these girls when they start. And I hear it all the time. I said, why did you compete? I just wanted to challenge myself to get up in front of people. There's not a lot of people like you and me where we get up in front of people and that's where literally we live. Like I excel in, <laughs> in that element as much as anything in my life. And that's just a really God-given talent that I can't that's explain. Most people aren't like that. Yeah. It's a gift. It's just, it's a and gift. I know a lot of people would love to be like that. And that's awesome that pageants allow them to do that. I mean, think about all the people that, I mean, Life After the Crown is a great example of the 59 girls that I think I've had on. Look at how, met, how many of them have gone on to do incredible things. And many of them attribute the abilities they have and the things that they've been able to do because of what they learned in pageantry. That's what I love about it, not the political movements and the the drama and all the bs it's mm-hmm. at the end of the day what's it really do for you yeah it makes you i can tell you it makes you your absolute best 
version of yourself. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, Tim. For me personally, that is my testimony. Um, it's on my Instagram page. I had Ryan Miles, another mutual friend of ours, uh, yep. co-owner of RPM. Um, I had him go back in the archives of a million years ago and find, <laughs> find for me. Photos. He was so kind to do Yeah, and find my high-resolution photos because I wanted to put them on my Instagram team because I got that question all the time. You know, how are you so confident? How are you so comfortable on camera? How are you so this, that, and the third? I just say, you know what? So much of it came from my background in pageantry. I mean, people don't know this, but I competed even as a teen. I mean, I, I wasn't very successful because, you know, I liked a lot of discipline and a lot of other things you need to be successful. But my days on, on a pageant stage started when I was 14 years old. So it, 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 what's true that we know, it's not that far from being on that pageant stage to being on that, in front of that television camera. It's really not. And so the, the skill set, the discipline, the ability to overcome fears and anxiety, it all started for me on a pageant stage, the ability to be comfortable speaking in front of a microphone with an interviewer, which is exactly what that top five final question is all about. It started from that stage. So I'm incredibly grateful to pageants uh, because it really, for me, crystallized, um, A, that's how I knew I had this gift. You know, but, but for pageants, I don't know when in my life I would have even found this out. You know, um, I, I enjoyed being a trial attorney. I was pretty damn good at it. But it was really through competing uh, at that highest level on that Miss North Carolina USA stage in that top five, it was clear to me that I actually had a gift. I got that feedback from people that were in that audience that night. And it was incumbent upon me to use my spiritual gift to make this place a better country. And, and that's, you know, that's what gets me up every day now. You talk about life after the crown. That's exactly what Life After the Crown became for me. But would I have gotten here but for pageantry? I don't know. I honestly don't know because I don't know when else I would have been given the opportunity like that one. It's a really unique space. I wish I would have hosted that pageant to see you and Kristen go at it. That would have been good. <laughs> it was great. It was great. And you know what? She made me better too. And, and I, I told her that I had an opportunity to run into her years ago in Los Angeles because um, we were both living there at the time. And the fierceness of competitor she was made me rise to the occasion. And that's another secret gift of pageantry. When you don't look at it as a personal, um, because it's not, it's never personal, not really. Every young lady up there should, they owe it to themselves to show up in their best form. And when you all do that, all you're doing is bringing out the best in one another. Truth, truth be told, that's exactly what, what that's all about. That fierce level of competition. So embracing competition, even in the, in the journalism world we live in, Tim, you know, that's a part of this. You know, you, you can't be out here afraid of the next, uh, next best anchor or reporter. You oh. got to raise, you got to raise your standard. So I, I, I owe the world to pageantry in that regard. So I am just so glad that you pinged me a few weeks ago and that you set this conversation in motion. I think we both were able to just get some stuff off our chest and, and I really think it's going to help them. No, I really, but I really do. I think it's going to be really therapeutic and help some, help some listeners because this, these are the conversations people are having in back channels, but they're not having in broad daylight that I think can really move the needle. And I, and I think it's really important. So I, I really want to applaud you, Tim, for having this concept and having this idea and having this show because it really is changing things in pageantry. I've seen it. Well, thanks for running the discussion. And, and look, if you are listening and, and it does connect with you and you're sitting there saying to yourself, hell yes, repost, <laughs> repost it. You don't have to go tell everybody Absolutely. about it. Just repost it. Let, let Ebony, and I, Ebony and I be your voices that speak. But um, I want to yeah. thank you because um, I know most people pay you thousands of dollars for an hour of your time. So I'm very appreciative yeah. that you would just <laughs> sit here and chat with me for an hour. And uh, I, I, I love you. You know that. 
I do. And I love you right back. And, and, you know, this is, we're just, you know, so committed to this world and helping these young ladies. And I can't think of anybody I'd rather do it with, Tim. Seriously, you're phenomenal. You're a gift to the pageant world. You really are. So well, this has and, been and, fun. And you're a gift as my friend and I love you for it. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And you're always good with me and, uh, and always guide me. So I'm, I'm so appreciative of that. So thank you so much. You are awesome. Thank you, Dylan. Talk soon. Okay, that was quite the podcast. Thank you so much to Ebony K. Williams for her time. What an exciting time. And like I said, look, if this has really spoke to you, um, the state of pageantry and everything that's going on, obviously it's on the mind of a lot of people, but they don't want to talk about it. Share this podcast. Put it out there. I mean, you know, the press holds the government to a system of checks and balances with the way they report. And I think we as the pageant world should also do the same thing. And I think this podcast is a great representation of that. Uh, I hope you did enjoy the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram for updates, you can do that at Tim Tialdo. And if you want to follow Ebony, by the way, it's at Ebony K. Williams. Until next time, remember the words of Matthew 5.10. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Talk to you next week, everybody.